Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Political Capital podcast, where the Lanson's public affairs team will be analysing the impact of and outcomes from the government's autumn budget and spending review. Lanson's, as you may know, is an award-winning strategic reputation management consultancy, which blend expertise across customer, financial, policy, employee and media engagement to help build and protect reputations. This podcast is the recording of a live event. If you would like to hear about future Lanson's events, please do sign up for Political Capital on the Lanson's website. But for now, I will hand over to our Head of Public Affairs, James Dowling. This is our post-budget huddle. It's supposed to be as as informal an event as you can get when it's a scheduled Teams call with a presentation. Uh, We're going to take you through, uh, members of the the public affairs team are going to take you through what happened yesterday and kind of flag some of the, to our mind, the key policy issues. Uh, We assume you've all read the media. So, um, what happened yesterday? Uh, Is the Chancellor less Rishi Osborne and more Gordon Sunak? And if his central political bet was clearly a huge increase in public spending, how on earth can he afford it and how does it square with his notionally Thatcherite past? So, I mean, it probably helps, I think, if we consider for a moment some history. Uh, I was in the Treasury in 2010 in charge of the finance bill process. And at that time, the country was facing a really serious situation with the public finances under pretty close scrutiny by the markets. Now, both Labour and Conservatives have penciled in quite severe cuts. We would have had retrenchment regardless of who won the 2010 election. And although it's true that the Conservatives envisaged a much more aggressive trajectory than Labour, either way, we would we would have been fa- we would have been facing some version of what became austerity. Now, you know, the history of it, uh, the history is relatively well known. Osborne as Chancellor then opted to p- pursue a surplus by 2015. It didn't end up like that, and to do so on the basis of a, fair, of a significant, unprecedented spending squeeze, with public spending falling in real terms for the, f- for the first time in decades. I think for the first time ever, actually. Now, the broad assumed mix, the strategic assumed mix, was a, a, a mix was 80% spending cuts and 20% tax rises. Um, and I mean, it's easy to forget this, but 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 at the time, I mean, Osborne had had fairly effectively built a political consensus around the need to do this, and this actually enjoyed at first and quite and for quite a while widespread public support. I mean, the government only started running into difficulties when cost of living pressures in 2012 started severely to hit their wider support, and you know you got pictures such as the Chancellor being booed at the Olympics. So, if the if the strategy didn't quite go as planned. It took much longer and the public finances never quite hit a surplus. Um, up until the pandemic, what we ended up with was the public finances, you could argue about the public services, but public finances and reasonably robust health. But one real consequence of that strategy was there was no obvious way to repeat the exercise and balance the books on the basis of spending restraint. There simply wasn't enough fat available to cut. And the inevitability therefore was that in any future exercise, any other time you need to do a similar kind of thing, uh, tax is going to have to take the strain. That was always going to be the case. Um, and layered on top of that, there's no obvious public or political support, further austerity, further spending restraint. So all of that means that when you think about kind of where we are now, Sunak was always going to have to repair the public finances through tax increases. And he did this notably through increasing corporation tax at the March budget, and then more recently, the start of September, through his national insurance increases. And they are notionally to fund the NHS and social care, but in practice, it all goes into the same central pot. So we'll see what actually comes out the other side and whether social care actually gets any. Um, so 
all of those tax increases happened. No one really seemed to turn a hair, uh, despite the fact that by 20, 2026, taxes are now scheduled to be at the highest level since the Attlee government. Um, so, and that's the context with which the Chancellor came to yesterday. He came to this exercise absolutely awash with new tax cash. Uh, he was then gifted a further windfall when the OBR, the Office of Budget Responsibility, dramatically uprated the near-term forecast for the economy. The kind of the the forecast at the end of at the end of the period is is, is a little a little more grim, but sort of over the next few years it looks pretty punchy, uh, assuming a much better performance than had been previously predicted. And that has the effect of delivering the Chancellor even more tax revenues, as well as few people falling back in welfare. So there are few people actually making demands on the on the public services as well. So and his response to that, his response to uh, you know a, a uh, remarkably uh, benevolent uh, uh, situation given the circumstance, given the wider circumstances, was you know as the OBR made clear, he had already penciled in in March this year a trajectory which brought, which brought the public finances broadly back to where they were previously due to be in 2022. Um, and what was announced yesterday then was public sector. What he announced yesterday amounted to public sector debt net debt falling at a slightly lower rate. So. They're coming back uh, into their previously planned trajectory in 2023, so retrenchment happening about a year later than, than previously planned. And the difference, and the difference is very significant, is simply being spent. And the result is therefore what we saw, a huge increase in public spending to the tune of 150 billion extra until the end of the forecast period. The forecast period is the, is the financial year 24-25, so that's the year in which we are. We probably would have had the election by then. Um, with every department uh, up to that point getting some kind of real terms increase at different points and to different levels, obviously. Um, and to that point, you know, although although every department is benefiting in some way, because the NHS is sucking up close to 50% of it, I think the number is 44%. Uh, the reality is that in some areas, and uh, you know, local government is the one that's been picked out. Um, <clears throat> Some areas are still going to be relatively constrained, uh, particularly bearing in mind the extent to which, and local government is a key key example here, the extent to which they've been cut over the past 10 years. Um, so austerity, as we know, it is dead. We retreated yesterday to something more akin to one of Gordon Brown's budgets with vast sums pledged. And in that respect, it was a curiously Manichaean exercise, with the Chancellor on one hand spending a lot of time telling everyone how they should live within their means, you know, wearing wearing the hair shirt, talking about talking about prudence, unveiling new fiscal rule, rules, which look a bit like Gordon Brown's fiscal rules. They're not quite the same, but they look a bit similar to Gordon Brown's or indeed to Philip Hammond's um, to help buttress this message, uh, while at the same point, point spending more than any Chancellor since 2010 outside of uh, the pandemic, the pandemic interventions. And being clear that in some cases, and he mentioned schools funding, he's actually returning spending levels to the to to, to the point that 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 they were when the when the Conservatives uh, took over from Labour in 2010. Um, and the interesting thing about that was uh, this Brownian exercise was 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 very much devoted to to Tory themes. So you know, if you ignore. And it'll be interesting to see whether he can ignore uh, the calls of the small state Tory Tories who have been in abeyance uh, recently. Uh, themes which Conservatives care about: business investment, value and reward of work, productivity, were on display for all to see. And levelling up itself has moved quite a long way since it was just about broadband and railways. Um, you have skills, 
R&D tax credits and arguably the most eye-catching measure, which is the reduction of the uh, universal credit taper, so, so the withdrawal rate, the rate at which benefits are withdrawn when earnings, people in work, when universal credit recipients in work exceed a certain level of earnings, are all arguably in, in, that, in that bracket. So that's um, uh, my top lines. I'm just going to make a few further points and then hand over to colleagues. Uh, um, well, I'm, so firstly, if this is a spending review, and it certainly was a spending review, a setting of government budgets for the next uh, three years, uh, it was barely a budget, and a budget is an exercise in setting tax rates. I mean, there were some tax changes, noticeably on air passenger duty, business rates and alcohol. I don't want to downplay particularly the, the consequence of the business rates uh, measure. I mean, the kind of scorecard impact of that is a billion quid overall is a billion is more than a billion pounds per annum. So it's not it's not tiny, but but overall and in, con and in comparison to the spending side, it's it's all pretty small bit. Um, fiscal expansion uh, is uh, is built on stronger than on assumed stronger than expected forecasts, um, stronger than expected OBR forecasts. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, every chancellor uh, plans on the basis of the forecast that he's given. But it is it is odd that for a chancellor who boasted in his speech that one should prudently put aside funds for a rainy day, and that was about the only echo of Osborne that we saw. Um, he didn't actually do much of that. So if this goes wrong, he misses his targets. And in the meantime, business in particular is significantly out of pocket. And I, I, I suppose there's a question there about whether these are the right circumstances in which to persuade business actually to invest. Anyway, um, I think there's then a follow on question to that, which is if if the Chancellor misses his targets, um, does it really matter? And I suppose my view is probably not. Uh, so the Chancellor's new fiscal rules require debt and borrowing for day-to-day -day spending. So overall debt and borrowing for day-to-day -day spending to be following in, fa falling in the third year of the forecast period. Now that takes us to 2024, and there's a good chance there will be an election uh, uh, then before anyone actually notices what's happened with the fiscal rules. Um, <clears throat> Finally, uh, and I think much more significant, I think the key risk he is running is a cost of living issue. And that's the thing that, of course, nearly severely damaged Osborne at, uh, in, in 2012. Bank of New Bank of England chief economist suggested recently that inflation could get as high as 5%. Um, all this extra expenditure, the government's throwing an enormous amount of money into the economy. It's hardly going to help that. The OBR has suggested in their, in their report that real household income growth in 2022 could be as low as 0.3%, so real as opposed to nominal uh, when you've taken into account inflation. Um, so if the economy performs worse than expected, then the optimistic economy pre predicted by Sunak in his speech could well fail to arrive. Um, so those are my top lines. I think very quickly moving on to the uh, view from uh, some of the key figures. I mean, uh, you can see there very, very, very clearly um, they um, some some of those concerns reflected in what you've got here. Paul Johnson uh, talking about living standards. Um, you know, Mike Brewer, ditto. Um, IPPR. I don't think they were ever going to be going to support a conservative budget in this way. They tend to be rather left leaning, but uh, not surprised they're focused on green industries. And there has been some comment on 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 the lack of uh, um, the, the lack of investment in in, in that area, uh, particularly given coppice just around the corner. And then Mark Littlewood, the token small small state conservative, uh, although I believe he's actually a, he's actually by origin a Liberal Democrat. Um, 
talking for probably quite a lot of people on the Conservative backbenches uh, when when in expressing unease on the on the extent to which you know we've actually uh, this chancellor this notionally small tax uh, small state low tax chancellor has actually expanded the state and it'll be interesting to see how that's managed. Um, and on that note, I will hand over to colleagues to take us through some of the detail. So I'll be taking you through financial the announcements for financial services in the budget. Um, so financial services is a key strategic asset of the UK economy, but its relationship with the government was strained over the Brexit period as the industry felt that the deal reached with the EU did little to support um, the industry. Um, but since the end of the transition period, the government have been much more proactive in outlining its ambitions to support and promote the industry, which has been welcomed. Um, especially given with the pandemic, the industry is very keen to demonstrate how it plays an active role in the regions and nations of the UK, not just London, and can provide investment and local jobs and have a role in the levelling up agenda. So this budget aimed at realising that potential, um, but also unlocking the global competitiveness of the industry. Um, so the first way I did this is the, um, the announcement with a corporation tax in the spring budget, the, the Chancellor announced yesterday that um, the bank corporation tax surge charges will be changed to 3% from uh, April 2023. Um, so this move recognises the importance of the UK as an internationally competitive sector, which is supporting growth, jobs and innovation. Um, but uh, at the same time, it will allow, and at the same time, it will allow an annual allowance of 100 million to help support healthy comp uh, competition in the sector. Um, so in line with the government's move towards a sustainable finance market, the, the Chancellor announced um, the green saving bonds will, made, will be made available to customers on the 22nd of October and on sale for a minimum of three months. The green saving bonds are a three-year fixed-term savings product with an interest rate of 0.65%, and customers will be able to invest between £100 and £100,000. Um, as, as with all NSNI products, these, these will be 100% guaranteed by the Treasury. Perfect, which I believe takes us on to the pensions and personal finance uh, sort of uh, announcements coming through from the budget, so we'll definitely take you through that. So, um Interestingly, for sort of pensions and personal finance, I'm going to start with personal finance, and I think that the reason for that is partly what James was talking about in terms of the cost of living crisis uh, that may well be on the horizon. So it was interesting to note that the money in pension service um, and debt relief orders uh, sort of system function uh, both received increased funding. This feels like the government is bracing somewhat for the rise in problem debt, which has been growing over the crisis and does look set to continue somewhat uh, following on from that. So it's really interesting to see that that is quite slip through how much they're going to be increasing that funding uh, and when hasn't been specified but it's an interesting point to note that actually the government is on a low-key level looking at the cost of living and 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 recognizing that that is an issue to address on the wider pension space it's it's not a quiet budget but it is worth recognizing that the pension scheme bill obviously passed into law at the beginning of 2021 um the pension space, therefore, has had some fairly major changes recently. You do see the beginnings of some change here. So particularly interesting, despite its titling, uh, is uh, some of the discussions on pensions tax relief administration um, in terms of uh, net pay arrangements, but also in terms of the government providing response on pensions uh, on the administration, on the call for evidence it put out uh, earlier this year. So that should be coming through. That also hasn't come through quite yet in detail, but it's really quite interesting to see that actually there is some movement around pensions 
emissions taxation as a conversation. And obviously, uh, for those of you familiar with the industry, you will recall uh, that the government had planned two pension schemes bills uh, in this parliament. Uh, we might be beginning to see where some of those areas will be where it will be focusing. And then the most substantive change uh, in this budget, uh, it's still a change, it's a consultation, but the most substantive policy announcement comes through on this budget is on consulting on further regulatory changes to support pensions investments in long-term productive assets. So this is to do with the, the pension, the investment big bang that the government is looking to unlock uh, and also to further incentivize uh, investment. Uh, so this follows on recommendations from the Task Force for Innovation, Growth and Regulatory Reform uh, and the Productive Finance Working Group. Um, it's going to start looking at the charge cap for, for DC auto-enrollment pension schemes uh, to enable pension savers to better benefit from the growth of long-term investments, which leads us neatly on to tax. Mitchell. Thank you, Sam. Um, there's, there's four key announcements that were announced around the changes to the taxation system. Obviously, the, the re-announcement of the 1.25% um, increase in national insurance. Um, obviously, that is to fund the reforms to adult social, adult social care, which Boris Johnson promised on the, the steps of Downing Street when he became prime minister um, and came to fruition around September. Then one of my personal outcomes of the budget was definitely the tonnage tax. Uh, can't wait to see. The, the British flag flying once again on ships around around the United Kingdom. Um, get rid of the, the EU flags. Um, I'm obviously joking for anyone who thinks um, uh, I'm running UKIP at the moment. But no, uh, genuinely, I think it's, it's quite a, a fun policy. Um, the, the two uh, major changes to tax, but as James has already said, they're not even really that major. They're all pretty um, low key. Uh, changes to business rates. So... Um, there was obviously uh, a promise to make the business rates um, easier. Uh, there's been a big discussion around changes to business rates over the past few years. Um, what the Chancellor announced yesterday was a commitment to uh, reevaluate every three years to check the system is still working for businesses. Um, a green announcement, one of the very few green announcements that came out of the budget was, was relief for green technology. So if you were to have a, a machine on site that uses renewable energy, um, you would get a tax break for that. Um, additionally, uh, the government again introduced the business rates improvement relief. Um, but then finally, I think uh, one of the more interesting points that came out of it was the new one year 50% business rates discount for retail, hospitality and leisure. Um, which has been capped at £110,000. Um, and this is very much to help those sectors which have probably been hit the worst from the pandemic um, with business rates. But, but the, the Chancellor made quite a strong defence of business rates um, with a swipe at the opposition who are claiming they just want yeah, wholesale change to business rates. So that was interesting. And then for all of us, obviously, um, who like to have a glass of wine, um, especially if it's sparkling wine, um, then, then there's the end to duty premium on that. But but the big changes, and there was a lot of time spent around cuts to alcohol, um, was that the main duty cut is moving down from 50% to 6%, um, and the new system will be based on the higher alcohol content, the higher rate of tax that you pay. Um, and additionally, there was relief for draft beers to help you know, smaller companies develop, um, and also for UK-based um, alcohol production. Um, but it's really interesting because I think the alcohol duty stuff is obviously very popular. Um, I don't know if anyone saw on picture, on pictures last night of Rishi Sunak. Um, he went to the, pub, the pubs around Westminster and was absolutely swamped um, by, by people um, having cheaper beers. Um, 
So um, it's an interesting one. And every year it's very popular and it plays quite well to the electorate. So uh, what was potentially less interesting um, was anything coming through on environment. Now, in fairness to the Chancellor, a lot of these announcements had come through or been put forward uh, long before the budget even came to pass. So you had the heat and building strategy, you had the net zero strategy. There's been a lot of government announcements about environment and energy recently, but not a lot that actually came through in the budget, which a week before COP is a a bold choice, uh, I think, uh, one way or another. And it's certainly if you were listening to the Today programme, this morning, something that the Chancellor uh, received quite a quite a series of questions on. There were a couple of announcements. Uh, you've got the Carbon Capture Usage and Storage Infrastructure Fund. This was actually an announcement from a previous budget, but it, it's nice to see it recon- a bit of funding reconfirmed. Uh, you do have things like the Advanced uh, Nuclear Fund, that's about 385 million for uh, the generation of smaller and more advanced uh, modular reactor technologies. Um, and you've got investment in hydrogen as well. That's the IDEHR support scheme, uh, which is uh, supporting the role of hydrogen, certainly in, in heavy industry uh, that adopts, also chooses to adopt carbon capture usage and storage. So there are some investments coming through, but it's notably the, the pauses that are interesting on this one, the silences. There's not necessarily much that's coming through. Uh, given the energy crisis that's underway, given that COP is next there next week, there was remarkably little on climate and uh, and on the energy markets overall. Um, and it was interesting to see. In fact, probably one of the most interesting announcements on energy wasn't an announcement; was a bit a, what that was a piece of rhetoric instead. It was the Chancellor saying there will be no bailouts. Uh, the markets must begin to rely on themselves. It's a sort of break from the emergency mindset uh, that we've had, we've seen from the government for the last 18 months. He's sort of saying we are no longer in crisis. With a leader of the opposition away with COVID, I think that's optimistic. Um, but I do think that is particularly pertinent if you're looking at the energy space, uh, that that is a change of mindset there. Um, but there were investments in transport. Alice. Thanks, Sam. So this was a budget that contained a fair amount of policy on transport in particular. One significant focus was investment in improving conditions and training for HGV drivers to address, try and address the shortages that are exacerbating supply chain issues compounded by Brexit and coronavirus. So these policies include investing in training for drivers and freezing vehicle excise duty for HGVs. Um, There was also a number of updates to the aviation sector, notably the airport and ground operations support scheme has been extended for six months, which is positive news as it's been something that we've been helping to call for for some time. One of the big headline grabbers from the budget was the cut to air passenger duty for domestic flights, which has proved quite controversial to announce in the week before COP and has been sold by the government as a boost for union connectivity. Uh, The Chancellor has tried to balance this out with an extra ban to the duty for long-haul flights, arguing that those who fly the furthest should pay the most. And he's also promised further funding to support the development of sustainable aviation fuel, sort of to help balance the other criticism. Uh, And then in other other policies to touch on, there was a focus on funding for active travel, in particular cycling, which, to be honest, reflects Boris Johnson's personal interests um, around cycling. And also an additional 620 million in funding for charging infrastructure for electric vehicles to fit with government targets for the transition away from diesel and petrol cars. And then one final piece to pull out is that there's still a continued lack of detail on the integrated rail plan that was expected this autumn, but 
the Chancellor indicated in his speech that it could possibly be delayed further. Very little on housing necessarily as well. As I mentioned, there was the heat and building strategy that did come through. There was some announcements. You can see some of the details of it there. Some of it we've seen before. The housing decarbonisation funding was absolutely announced last week, uh, particularly the, sort of the home upgrade grant, uh, which is uh, something of a stand-in for the, the Green Homes grant one way or another, uh, getting heat pumps into houses, uh, replacing boilers. Um, there was an interesting note on cladding, uh, $5 billion of funding, uh, for the highest risk, risk buildings, um, and that's also going to be coming through uh, from a property developer, ta- form of property developer taxation as well. So you do see the government making some concession on building safety there. Beyond that, a fairly quiet budget uh, for housing. There was funding going through to local government to assist on housing as well, um, but it, it, nothing, uh, it, to, to use James's phrase, small beer, uh, one way or another. So that brings us on to the final point of policy, which Emma, I think you were going to take us through some of the additional spending there. Uh, So I'm going to be talking to the levelling up and specifically the regional funds. So there's a funding for devolved uh, administrations uh, ranging from uh, 4.6 billion per year for Scotland, um, 2.5 billion for the Welsh government and 1.6 for Northern Ireland. Uh, There's also the UK Shared Prosperity Fund, uh, and this is worth um, over 2.6 billion to help uh, access new opportunities. And finally, there is the Regional Angel Programme, um, and this commits uh, 150 million to UK-wide kind of programmes to support apprenticeships and supporting creative industries. That's it from me. Which takes us on to Mitchell to, to take us through what's coming up next. Yeah, thank you. And everyone would have heard um, pre-budget about the busy autumn that Boris Johnson had ahead of him, a really big autumn where he was announcing the social care plans, party conferences, budget, um, uh, COP26. Um, And we're now probably heading towards that busy autumn. Um, But there's still some really interesting things to keep an eye on. So there's obviously COP26, which kicks off next week for two weeks, um, a big landmark uh, event for the UK. then um, we've got the, um, trying, just trying to pick out some key things here. Uh, France begins its EU presidency in January, which is an interesting one if you've been following um, the news last night about uh, what France would like to do around um, the fisheries. Um, and then next year is also European elections in terms of French presidential election will have quite a big impact on, on what European politics looks like. Uh, we're expecting a Queen's speech around spring. So as you'll know, uh, the Queen's speech outlines the government's plan for the following year. Um, that will be the next landmark event. We're unsure whether there'll be a spring budget. I don't know if you remember a few years ago, they changed to a spring statement and autumn budget. Um, however, this year we have had two budgets because of the COVID pandemic. So it's still unknown um, what the fiscal statement around March time will be. Um, it's likely, unless anything else happens with COVID, it'll probably revert back to a spring statement considering that this budget um, wasn't, uh, they didn't want to make a huge fiscal event out of this budget. So they probably won't want to have lots and lots and lots of fiscal events. So probably revert back to some sort of spring statement. Um, And then in May, we go back to local elections. um, And um, that's probably things to keep an eye on. Um, But I think you'll see probably quite a lot of announcements still around the next two weeks over COP. Um, and towards the end of the year as government try and um, drive forward their um, domestic agenda that's been stumbled by COVID. Thank you for listening in to this special edition of Political Capital, brought to you by the Lanson's Public Affairs team. 
For further insight from Lansons, we run a weekly Political Capital newsletter, which contains further insight and analysis from Lansons and polling company Opinion. If you would like to subscribe to the newsletter or to receive updates about our events, please go to the public affairs page of the Lancers website and click to subscribe to Political Capital. But for now, thank you for listening and goodbye.